If you will turn your Bibles with me, we continue our study through the book of Ephesians. We are in Ephesians chapter 5, mostly chapter 5 today. Um, if you will please, as become our custom, if you're able and willing, please stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Ephesians 5, which can be found on page 978 of your pew Bible. I'm actually going to jump back to the last verse in Ephesians 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Back in the summer of 2019, one of my best friends from high school asked me to come speak to some leaders at the camp where he worked. It was, it's called New Life Ranch, and it's a camp that I grew up going to in Oklahoma. I wasn't the main speaker at the camp, but I was speaking to the college and high school age leaders, and I walked them through the Lord's Prayer. But during one of the large group meetings, I stuck my head in because I hadn't been there since the seventh grade, and I, I just wanted to see what it was all about. And they were going through the get-tos. Get-tos. This is what the children of the camp were able to do. They get to walk while they're inside. They get to wear their shoes everywhere they go. 
They get to do all the different activities as long as their leader is there. They get to make sure that they are at every meal. And first I was like, wait, what? Get-tos? Surely we're not so afraid to say no to children that we only get to talk about what they get to do. Surely it's okay to say, thou shalt not. For this is exactly how God speaks to his people. Surely we haven't gotten so far that we're afraid of negative reinforcement, that we're actually not willing to tell someone, no, you can't do that. But as often happens in my life, I need some time to process. I need a time to think, think about it from every angle. And of course, that's not what this camp was saying. They weren't saying it's wrong to say no, but they were focusing the students much as the scriptures focus us on the things we get to do in Christ. The Christian life isn't just about not getting to do something. It's so much more. It's about the life that God saved us to. It's about the get-tos. Get-tos are like the law. As you've heard me say a million times, the get-tos are like a fence, keeping us inside and protecting us from what's outside and protecting us from going to where the darkness is. In Ephesians 5, we hear Paul is telling the church both get-tos and get-not-tos. Because this is what God wants for his children because he loves them. Paul is saying this is the new life that Christ has purchased for his church. So I want us to see two things this morning. The gospel and the life it saves us from. The gospel and the life it saves us to. Paul begins everything founded upon the gospel. Look at verse 32 of chapter 4. Be kind to everyone, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Everything Paul says is founded upon the gospel. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. Forgive one another because God has forgiven you in Christ. He establishes this life of love, this life of holiness on the objective truth of what Christ has done for his people. He has forgiven us our sins. God so loved us that he died for our sins. His death was an offering to God, a sweet fragrance and aroma. Twice in Isaiah, he references what our sin smells like to God. And he calls it a stench in his nostrils. This stench is like the smell in your house that after you've been gone for a week and you come back in and it immediately hits you and you're like, someone didn't take out the trash can. 
something was left in the sink, or something died and we need to find it. This is the way our sin smells in the nostrils of God. Our sin stinks like a boy's locker room. But what happens is we become so accustomed to it, we become so used to it, we don't even smell it anymore. It's just part of who they are. Yet what the gospel says is that Jesus' death was a fragrant offering because he was sinless. He had no stench in the presence of God. He was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. Francis Schaeffer, in his book, True Spirituality, says that only the finished substitutionary substitutionary work of Christ upon the cross as the Lamb of God in history, space, and time is enough to remove our sin. It is the infinite value of the finished work of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, plus nothing that is the sole basis for the removal of our guilt, of our sin, and our shame. This is the gospel of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we have been made a sweet aroma through the cross of Christ. He has cleansed us from our sin. We smell no more. Because of his blood, we have been purified. He has saved us. He has cleansed us. He has washed us. He has made us holy, setting us apart for a special use. Our sin stinks eternally like a dead corpse corpse rotting. And no amount of cologne, no amount of perfume, no amount of taking tree air fresheners and rubbing it on ourselves can take away Our sins stench. It is only through the grace and mercy and the love that God had for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel isn't about what would Jesus do. The gospel is all about what Jesus has done for us. And through faith in him, we have been made alive We have been made holy, and this is the good news of the gospel. We don't just need someone to imitate. We need a Savior. And the gospel declares everything that Christ has accomplished is ours. We who were dead, we who were far off, separated, darkened in our understanding, our hearts were hardened, impenetrable, But God sent Christ to die for us. Therefore, Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Children adopted. We do not imitate him to become his children. We imitate him because we are his children. Walk in love. Church, Walk in love as Christ loved us. What has the gospel saved us to? To loving one another. To walking through life with one another. More on what we get to do in just a moment. 
But one way we also imitate Christ is by the get-not-tos. And this is what he says in verse three and four, verses 3 and 4. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude jokes, which are out of place. The NIV translate verse 3, and it says this, But among you, there, among you there must not be any hint of these things, because these things are improper for God's holy people. This is what Paul is saying, is facing the church in Ephesus in A.D. 62. Do these things sound familiar? There is nothing new under the sun. This word for sexual immorality, it's the Greek word pornea. Yes, it is the word that we get pornography from. And it's an umbrella word that covers a host of sexual sins, adultery, prostitution, fornication. Here, what Paul is saying is sexual immorality, this impurity, is un restrained sexual greed whereby a person assumes that others exist for his or her own gratification. Sexual immorality is seeing people as objects so that we might use them for our own gratification. And then he says, obscene talk, foolish talk, crude jokes. In this context with this verse 3 and 4 so close together, it's, it's like these terms are referring to a dirty mind expressing itself in vulgar conversation. Brothers and sisters, sexual sin is offense against God. It's offense against His holiness. And it's a rejection of godly love. Because these sins are rooted in our own desires, how we might please ourselves rather than what we can do for someone else. They are rooted in speaking about what is good and holy and making them perverted. It's all about me and my desires. It's taking what God has made for us for our good pleasure out of His good creation and twisting it to satisfy ourselves however we see fit. But our sexuality, like godly love, like biblical, true love, should always be focused on somebody else. It's for the mutual benefit of our spouse, not for self-gratification. It's not about giving ourselves pleasure. It's about giving pleasure to our spouse Come back next week. We're going to talk more about that when we get to the biblical concept of marriage. But what Paul says here is that sexual immorality, taking that which is good and making it solely about our own gratification, is covetousness. This is what he says in verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater. I hope you catch that. This is the 10th commandment. You shall not covet. For covetousness is a lack of proper contentment with God 
and with what he has provided for his people. When I meet with our covenant children, children who have been baptized as infants and are now wanting to come to the Lord's Supper through a credible profession of faith, I spend five weeks going through the storyline of the Bible. We go through Kerr. If you haven't heard those words, you haven't been here long enough. I go through creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. And what I do in that first week when I'm speaking about creation, I have the children envision literally everything that God has made. Everything he's made, he gave to his people and said, it's all yours. All of it. Everything that I've created good, everything that I've created true, everything I have made is for you because I love you. And then the Lord commanded Adam one thing. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Everything I made for you, enjoy it. I made it for your delight. But there's one thing you cannot have for your own safety, for your own good. But then when they saw the fruit of the tree, it was the delight to their eyes. They coveted what wasn't theirs. They wanted more. They wanted what they couldn't have. This is idolatry. They weren't thankful for what God provided them. They didn't think that God had their good in mind. And at the root of their sin was their desire for something other than God himself. And Paul reveals this in verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery. Here Paul is quoting from Proverbs 23. And the fuller context in this wisdom literature reveals that intoxication leads to reckless abandonment of God and his creation. As one commentator says, drunkenness excites fleshly lusts. And to wallow with delight in the mire of sensuality, a man created in the image of God must first brutalize himself by intoxication. We're good Presbyterians here at Christ Presbyterian Church. And if there's something that good Presbyterians believe in, it's in the freedom of conscience. This is what our confession teaches in chapter 3. And what this means is that we are freed from the doctrines and commandments of men. It means that me as a pastor, us as a church, we have no power to tell you all what to do where the Bible doesn't speak of it. It means that I can't tell you who to vote for. It means I can't tell you what color your house should be. It does mean that we have the freedoms where Scripture does not speak of something. We have freedom by our own conscience to make the best of what we can. We believe as Christians we have the freedom to drink alcohol. We have the freedom to smoke. You can even dance. I am unable as your pastor to bind your conscience with anything that the scriptures do not command or forbid. If anyone ever tells you you can't be a Christian if you're doing, you fill in the blank. 
they better be able to back it up and show you where Scripture prohibits that action. However, what often happens to good Presbyterians is that we use our freedom of conscience to actually use sin. We disguise sin with the shroud of our freedoms. And instead of using our freedom to holiness and goodness, we actually use our freedom to lead us back into the darkness. Sometimes we treat these prohibitions from God as a killjoy list. Because whether we believe it, whether we've been told this, or whether we've been told this, or whether we tell this to ourselves, it's like we say, without these things, I can't have any quote-unquote fun. Without these things, how can we truly live? Brothers and sisters, don't you see? This is the life that Christ has saved us from. They don't have the ability to bring you life or happiness. These things actually lead to death because they are sin. Not drinking, drinking alcohol isn't sinful. Getting drunk is sinful. Having sex isn't sinful. Having sex outside a loving covenantal marriage is sinful. Joking with friends isn't always sinful, but it can be. I told some of my friends this past week that I was very nervous about preaching this passage this week. And I said that because out of my own selfishness, I was like, I actually really like going to parties, and I don't want to be uninvited from every single party ever happen again. But what I want you to hear is that as your minister, if I am somewhere where you are tempted with sin, I hope you don't see me and see me as a, oh, that's a killjoy. But I hope you see me and see Christ has called us to something better. Christ has called us to holiness and to a new life. He's called us to happiness and joy that we can only have in Christ I care for each one of you, and I care if you sin, because it doesn't lead to life. It always leads to death. Brothers and sisters, you are holy saints of God. Sin cannot bring life. It cannot, because it leads you away from Christ himself. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore, as beloved children. And listen to what John says and what Brandon read earlier. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. God, through his apostles, is trying to teach the church. Remember, chapter 4, what were the apostles given for? To teach the church that they may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning. I, as a pastor, in line with these apostles, are telling you, 
as beloved children from God, flee from your sin. This is what's best for you. This is the life that God actually intended for you. We have actually been saved from these things by the atoning death of Jesus Christ, about on, by Jesus Christ on the cross through his finished work. Parents, how many of us would love, absolutely love it, if we would say to our children, please trust me, I know what's best for you, and that they might respond, I trust you and I will obey. That's what Paul's doing here. Trust me, I know what's best for you. These don't get to's only lead to your harm. God doesn't want this for his children. Sin keeps us from retaining our true humanity. It keeps us, as we said last week, from our new selves in Christ. These things should not be named among you. Verse 3. Those who do these things will not enter the kingdom of God. Verse 5. Let no one deceive you with empty words. If anyone is telling you any different than what Paul is telling you right here, they are lying to you. It leads to darkness. Do not be deceived by craftiness of sin. This is what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. Take no part in their unfruitful works. Do not partner with them. Now, this doesn't mean I can't ever go to work with someone who is in their sin. But what this means is don't participate in their sin with them. Students, this means if there's a party and you know sin is going to happen, don't go. This is the charge of the gospel. Don't go into the darkness. Stay in the light. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Wake up. Paul is not specifically quoting Isaiah, but he's using this image. Christian and non-Christian alike, wake up from your sin. God has exposed it because he is the light. He is the light of the world. Your words, your thoughts, your deeds are before the Lord. And you can either come to Christ now and repent, and you will receive grace and mercy because he loves you. But if you don't, this is what will lead to the sons of destruction. They will be exposed on the day of judgment. If you're saying, oh no, this, this sounds a lot like me. If you're saying, oh no, he's preaching to me, I am. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not aiming at any one of you. I'm aiming at all of us. Turn from your sin and return to Christ. Leave your old self behind. If you feel guilt for your sin, good. 
It's the Spirit working in your life. But hear this. Do not remain in your guilt. For everything that Paul has said is founded on the gospel. Repent of your sin and you will be saved. Confess to one another. Confess your sin to me. If you come to me and you confess your sin, this is what you will be heard. You are forgiven in Christ. If you believe in the gospel, you have been saved from your sin. And as Jesus said, we will know a tree by its fruit. We will know whether you truly believe this by what you do. This leads into the get-tos of the gospel. For the gospel and the life that it saves us to. It's about being alive, truly alive, in communion with the risen and reigning Christ. What are the get-tos? The first is to be thankful. Let, no, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which, come, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Do you know what thanksgiving is the direct opposite of? Covetousness. Wanting more, wanting what's not mine. What is the opposite of that? Being thankful in all things. Brothers and sisters, we have received all things in Christ. He has created all things for our good, for our pleasure, that we might delight in them through Him, through communion with Him. Another get-to is producing the fruit of light. We see this in in verse 9. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And here Paul brings together two analogies of the Christian life. One is the fruit of the Spirit. The other is living in the light of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is what we get to do as believers in Christ. We get to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We get to love one another unconditionally. We get to have joy where there might not be any joy found in the resurrection of Christ. We have patience for one another. We show kindness to one another. We feel the goodness of God because He loves us in Christ. We are able to have self-control. And if it feels like, I just can't do those things, you're not relying upon the finished work of Christ on your behalf. You're not relying and don't truly understand the power of the Spirit living inside of you. We get to be the light. This is what he says in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ is living and dwelling inside of us. Everywhere we go, we are bringing the light of the gospel. We are shining it in the darkest places of the earth that people might know who they truly are in Christ. 
The background of this verse is the opening verses of Genesis, where God called out of the darkness light. We are new creations that the light might be shown through us, dividing, separating the light and the darkness. And we don't shine the light of don't shine the light on the darkness to gloat about ourselves. We don't do it to be self-righteous. We do it because we've received the same grace that we are offering to others who are hiding in the darkness. The last get-tos are in verses 15 to 21. To be wise. Understanding the will of the Lord, which Paul contrasts to a drunken stupor being filled with the Spirit. When we are filled with the Spirit, what does Paul say? If we are filled with the Spirit, we will dress one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual gifts. Songs. Songs that we sing, like we sang this morning. Songs that summarize and speak about the truth of the gospel, of what Christ has done for his people. And when we are filled with the Spirit, he says it again, we will give thanks always, always for everything to God, through God the Father, through Christ. And lastly, we will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to leave here feeling the weight of your guilt. This is part of our old selves. This is what Christ has set us free from. But I ask you, do not sin, for it leads to darkness. But if you do sin, we have an advocate we have someone more powerful than our sin can ever have, and his name is Jesus. You are the light. You have learned Christ. The gospel is not anything that you can do for yourselves. It is what Christ has done for you. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life isn't just about get-tos and get-not-tos. It's about becoming alive. And it's about being able to smell our sin. It's about encouraging one another towards holiness. It's about walking in love. It's about giving of ourselves for the good of God and the good of his kingdom. It's about proclaiming peace to those who are far off, those who have been separated. And it's a life that's going to be hard because it's a life of taking up our cross and following after Christ. If this feels foreign to comprehend, remember, the power of Christ is made perfect in our weakness. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. For he is good and he loves his children. Let's pray.
Father, set us apart for your holy use. Father, call us out of the darkness. May we encourage each other to live in the light, to be daughters and sons of light, to make good use of our time by bringing forth your kingdom now on earth as it is in heaven. Father, comfort us in our sin and give us power to go forth to proclaim the gospel. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.